Hi, I'm Jessie Draper. I am first and foremost a mom, a boy mom to be exact, a boy mom who invests in female-founded companies. Yep, the joke's on me. I'm the founder of Halogen Ventures, a former entrepreneur and creator of an Emmy-nominated television series on technology. My mission is to support women and help raise awareness about the biggest issues facing society, women, and families today, starting with solving childcare. From celebrity guests to founders and politicians, everyone came from a family somewhere. And I want to hear from you, the families of America, on how we can make change because I can't do this alone. Let's get started. We have monumental work to do. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Well, Jessica Chang is CEO and co-founder of We Care. A committed early childhood education advocate and mom of two, Jessica is a business and finance maven determined to solve the childcare crisis. So we have a few things in common. As a tech CEO of the largest childcare network in America, she's disrupting the childcare industry and making a lasting impact on the lives of countless families. Prior to co-founding WeCare, Jessica was COO of Affinity China, a principal investor at Macquarie Capital, and VP of Marketplace at Radpad. A graduate of UC Berkeley, Jessica is a preschool owner herself and resides in Los Angeles with her husband, Wit, and two kids, Teddy and Maddie. She's also little-known fact, a sommelier. So, Jessica, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. You're episode one, number one, <laughs> and we, Jessica and I, just to give everyone sort of a visual of what you're hearing right now, we were both just freaking out because we didn't realize that we were also on camera, and so we were trying to figure out how to sit and position ourselves correctly because we're moms and we're both in our mom jeans. But you know what? That's how we roll, right? So it's good to be in mom jeans. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. And um, I, you know, I think we should start with like, what was your mom win of the week? So for me, um, you know, I have three kids, three boys, and the one and a half year old who's the youngest gets just completely forgotten. And I was like, okay, I have school for my six year old. I have school for my four year old what do I do for my one-year-old? And I was trying to find a class for him because he's 18 months now and I couldn't find anything. And I, I was texting you. I was like, I need something now. I need something now. Um, and, uh, I found a teacher to come over to my house and teach a little, uh, class. And I was like posting on Instagram and all this stuff. So anyway, that was my mom win of the week. The third kid, if anyone else has one, if you are at two schools with your other kids and have to drive them, you bring the school to you. That's what I decided for the <laughs> third kid. So that was my mom win of the week. What was yours? So um, the mom fail of the week was I didn't realize <laughs> that uh, my kids weren't going to school this week. Oh, no. <laughs> literally they posted like maybe a month ago that hey by the way the school is reopening it's going to start on september 6th i was like wait so i ended up booking vacation the week before this week before and both of my kids were home this whole week so messed up completely but the mom of the week was yesterday i put both of them on an ipad not to watch tv but actually to learn because there's learning games there right? are a lot of great learning games you know? put them in there and then walked away and i had like an hour like a good hour meeting with no disruptions that's 
a huge win. Also, I would like to know what learning games, um, because I'm all about that. And I think anytime we can teach our kids. Also, I, I feel like the only programming I let my kids watch, too, is you know, I feel like Daniel Tiger is like therapy for parents. And then you have Umi <laughs> Zumi teaches my kids math. And then you have, um, what is it, Sid the science kid? Loves it. That's, Loves that's it. our science class. <laughs> so what, what, um, what games and kind of learning apps do you guys use? So uh, we recently been into Osmo. It's like oh, OSMO, so right? Yeah. You attach it and then they can play games. And so for my youngest, obviously she's not reading or and not doing math. She's way too young for that, but she can match. So she's there matching and like, oh, this is an A, match the A. So she's learning that way. And my older one is um, playing this B game on Osmo that actually allows him to learn math, which is great because he has to be like, understand how he's gonna get the honeypot versus getting attacked by a, uh, I guess like another type of a hornet. And so he has to count like, okay, if I have one and a five, I can move six. But if I accidentally put the wrong one, I get to a hornet. And, and so it's, it's actually quite an interesting game. And I was sitting there, I was like, this is actually kind of fun. And he's learning math, double win. Everyone is going to want to go play that game because one hour of uninterrupted mom time is like, I mean, that's the win of the month, I have <laughs> to say. That's pretty incredible. Well, you are very well-versed in childcare, and I know we're going to get into that. I mean, um, Jessica is literally the expert. I'm so happy to have her here first. Um, and full disclosure, she is the founder of one of my portfolio companies. Um, and I, okay, so I want to start with some parent news because I think it's important that, you know, childcare is talked about regularly and we, um, you know, talk about kind of what's going on in the landscape today. Um, so a new estimate from the Brookings Institution finds it costs over $300,000 to raise a kid in the U.S. The estimate that, sorry, um, the estimate reflects inflation's impact on the cost of everything from food to gas to housing. The hefty price tag could discourage even more Americans from having kids. What do you, like, what do you think about that? Like $300,000, that's I mean, I think it's preposterous. It's shocking. And I think the, the worst news about that is probably close to half of that is spent before the kid's even five. Oh, brutal. If you think about it, the cost of preschool, right, on average in the U.S. is twelve to 15000 And that's prior to this year's inflation. Right. So if you go to preschool for five years, that's 75. That's a quarter of that 300000 and then, you know, when you have a kid, it's expensive, right? Raising babies, formula, diapers, it all adds up to, yeah, half of that cost is probably going to happen even before they're five. So it doesn't surprise me. Well, and this is the problem with childcare in America, right? You have the zero to six-year-old, essentially, um, with no formal childcare programs or requirements or anything. And that's, I mean, that's a problem that is, as you're saying, the most expensive time. And it's also where kids get into trouble. I mean, it's also where kids are forgotten. And so for the families with two working parents, um, there's neglect situations. And, you know, this isn't everybody, but there's, 
I mean, we need to solve that. So what are some of the solutions you're thinking about? Well, I think the biggest part and mentioned right from the start is cost, right? Generally, most American families can't afford childcare. And when you can't, your child's starting at a significant disadvantage than someone that does. There's actually like a one-to-one -one correlation from kids receiving early year care to actually them graduating high school. And so really what it comes down to is, for a lot of families, is about can I actually afford it? Not even just having a choice, but can I actually just afford it to actually being able to say that's convenient? Because we've seen parents that have driven like one hour out of the way just to send their kids to a option that they can afford, but just an option in general so that they can actually go to work. So obviously here, here it comes. Um, we've, we started WeCare based on the principle to really make childcare accessible for all. And that meant for families, affordability and convenience. But that also meant for childcare providers, the ability to get paid what they deserve because they do one of the hardest jobs out there and they just do not get paid for it. And it's no surprising that people have left the industry. Um, COVID made it 10 times worse. Like you, you were losing people in the industry, but no one was actually going into the industry either. But I think the, the key to the solution is actually bringing outside help in. Because right. if it was only just dependent on families and providers, we would have no childcare, period. Well, and I want, um, you know, I want to dig into the WeCare, uh, your company, even more. Um, something I want everyone to know is they have over 2,500 locations across the country. More? She's looking at me like, yeah. Actually, correction. we have 55,000. 55,000? 55, oh, because you guys, oh, my God. I forgot. Um, I am way behind. So uh, that's significant growth for this year that I'm very excited about. Um, and so they have 55,000 child care uh, locations across the country, and these are more affordable, um, better options. Will you explain the difference between a WeCare um, and, you know, a typical childcare facility or a Bright Horizons, for example? Yeah. So a typical WeCare is actually centered around that childcare provider, right? And it's actually based in someone's home. Um, it's, in normal terms, it's actually called a family childcare center, right? Yeah. Um, short-term FCCs. And actually in the U.S. there's over 150,000 and just most families don't know about it. When you have an FCC, um, you can actually operate in any type of residential setting, which makes it really convenient for families. It literally could be your next door neighbor to someone that lives a floor above you. Um, or in a rural setting could be uh, someone that also owns a farm. Um, but what's great about it is Many people don't know that those that actually start an FCC, they're teachers as well. And so you get really individualized attention for your child when you're sending them to this FCC. Second part most people don't realize is that they're licensed, which means they go through the same process as a childcare center. And I actually think a lot of times they're a lot safer because the ratios are smaller and what Probably the third thing most people don't realize is that majority of Americans actually consume childcare not in a center, but actually in a home, whether that's with a FCC 
or with their families, friends, neighbors. And FCC, um, tell us again, what is what does that stand for? Do you know? Family child care. Family child well, care. Family child care. <laughs> a family child care. Um, and you know, can you give us like a cost analysis? Like, so what would a typical cost of you know sending your child to a week care versus somewhere else? What does that look like? Yeah. So the average cost, um, just in the U.S. in general, is you're paying about twelve hundred, fifteen hundred per child per month for full time care. For a week care, it's about six fifty to eight fifty. So you're significantly less, at least in general, about forty percent more affordable than a regular child care center. And then you also offer benefits and other programs as well, yeah. right? Our goal is actually really to focus on that provider. And what people don't realize is that if you focus on the provider and you can improve that quality, that's generally where you get more providers, better quality providers coming into your community. So we actually provide the back-end operations for our child care providers which allows them to really focus on the teaching, the curriculum, the caring for your child, and we focus on everything else, including actually helping them create their curriculum on a day-to-day -day basis. It's so incredible what you've built. I mean, we need so many more options. I'm so happy to hear you have 55,000 locations that's making it more affordable for families. And, um, you know, I think we need so much more of that. And then in each of these locations, it's you know, on average, six to 10 children? Yeah, so we have small, we have micro too, which okay. means sometimes it's just a couple of um, children. But it goes up from small uh, FCC that can handle about six to eight kids. And then it goes up to a large FCC that gets to about 12 to 14. That's great, it's amazing. Um, well, I would love to kind of dig in personally because everyone comes from a family. And um, everyone, uh, you know, is part of a family. And I want to dig into, like, what childcare looks like for you first, just at home now. You are a high-powered CEO. You are busy, busy. I made you drive all the way to the other end of the earth today to do this podcast with me. And I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that <laughs> because I know how busy you are. Um, and what does your childcare at home look like? And tell us... Does your spouse work? And, um, you know, what does that all look like for you? So my, my husband actually works in Century City, which means he drives quite a distance from where we live. Um, and he's a lawyer. So it means that both our schedules are really busy. Um, luckily, um, both of our kids are in school, which means, you know, from that standpoint, it's great. But guess what? School gets out at like 3 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> which makes it hard, right? Because not, I mean, most Americans don't get out at 3 p.m. from work. So it's a hodgepodge of things that come together because as my children have aged out of a lot of options, um, we have to kind of think about what that means. So first of all, they do have a lot of activities. It happens to be that after school is at a home daycare, which is awesome. Um, and that home daycare offers a lot of activities from, I know this, this sounds very much like a tiger mom, <laughs> reading, writing, <laughs> math, but also parts of like uh, aerobics and soccer. So they get all of the different activities. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to actually survive. 
Um, and they pick up my kids. And so that when I pick them up around five o'clock, I had a full day of um, work. I can actually then make them dinner and then go back to work. So, so. this daycare picks up your kids yeah. or the after school? Yeah. Oh my God. So that's, that's actually another benefit a lot of people don't realize is that home daycares generally provide transportation as well. Oh and so gosh. they can get your child, get them home, um, and actually do a lot of activities with them based on what your children actually like to do. So um, I'm a big believer, a big user of, <laughs> of WeCare myself, um, but I think that it makes the difference. And what actually even got me started at WeCare was I couldn't find any options. And I sent my child to a home daycare because everything that my friends recommended was either unaffordable or waitlisted. And then you also own a preschool. So tell me about that. So what does that look like? And what do you do for them? And I mean, that's a big job um, in addition to your big job. <laughs> so before I founded WeCare, um, I was really frustrated with the industry, not just as a, a mom, like generally uh, as parents, when we find out that we're having kids, it's like, yay, it's so great. And then you find out that childcare is impossible. And then you realize that potentially you might have to leave your job. And usually that falls on women. Um, and it became really frustrating to me because when I looked at options, and at that time, I remember saying to my husband, everything has a six months to two year wait list. Literally someone told me that I should have signed up when I was thinking about getting pregnant. That just seems so backwards. No, I had that same I had that same thing. Everyone said, you have to get on the list. You have to get on the list. And you know how I ended up getting into the preschool was it was like I I didn't have to get on the lists that I'd been on for years. And in fact, some of those preschools I didn't get into. It was so ridiculous. But you I mean, I think you also for me, I just chose the preschool also within two miles of my home. We're based in Los Angeles. You want close child <laughs> care. Um, but I think that's so crazy and ridiculous. And in some cases, that's true. But do you really want to go to those schools? I don't know. And, and to be honest, like I didn't when I was really looking into this industry, there was people just generally don't know what's available. And how I found my son's home daycare was literally I was so frustrated. I was walking him around the block and it was like Halloween time. And I was like, hey, there's actually like all these different pumpkins. I was like, there's no way that there's 10 kids here. Like no way that someone lives and has 10 kids. This is impossible. They can't afford living in L.A. with 10 kids. And I saw a family like come and pick up their child. And I was like, oh, what is this? They're like, oh, this is the home daycare. I was like, there's a home daycare here? Like, tell me more. And so I literally knocked on her door and was like, tell me more. I need childcare. Do you have space? <laughs> um, and it turned out she did because happened to be that one of the families were leaving. And so I ended up actually getting childcare because I walked around my neighborhood and just happened to see that many pumpkins. But most of the times there is no sign. And so people don't know. And that kind of really spurred the idea. But before that, um, I really wanted to understand what was going on with preschools. Because what I saw was that the more you look into the industry, you hear about childcare deserts, you hear about essentially providers leaving the industry year over year, but at the same time, demand has increased exponentially year over year. Right. So why was that the case? Um, and as a, as a operator at 
at heart, I wanted to know. So I got into the space and became a preschool owner and operator. And um, I took, I found a school that wasn't doing well. And I was like, look, I'm gonna make this my mission to get this school up and running. Because if this school closes, that means other kids won't be able to have this childcare available to them. And I ended up actually getting it off its feet and running within three months. Wow. But I we need like a million more of you doing that at these schools. And how's the school doing now? It, it's great. Um, and actually, I, I went on and did it actually to more schools too. Um, but what I realized was that a lot of times, many of these providers just don't have the experience to operate. Right. And that's what we were bringing in. But we wanted an option that was actually sustainable. Yeah. Hence why we got into the family child care space because it actually helped providers make three times more than they do as preschool teachers. See, I love how you're trying to solve the whole problem. You know, great providers uh, need to be paid and they need to be paid well. And um, you're figuring that out and you're focused on the children. I mean, you are doing good work, Jessica. Thank you from all the moms in America and beyond. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, we talked a little about your personal child care situation and your husband works and he's a lawyer and, um, you know, I'd love to know, um, you know, we have two working parents in my home too. And, um, I think, you know, I have a full-time nanny, which I know, uh, most people can't afford. And I know that I'm very lucky to be able to afford that. I don't think we'd be able to afford that necessarily if only one of us was working, um, do you feel the same? Like, could you pay for childcare if only one of you was working? No, absolutely not. And I think that's what really kind of brings to the, the attention that childcare is not affordable. But there's there's kind of this chicken and egg situation where it's like, well, how do you pay teachers more? You have to make childcare more expensive. Well, then if I'm paying teachers more, no one's going to actually go to these um, places because childcare is not affordable for families. So how do you kind of fix this conundrum? And honestly, that's also where we care got into was we got into the employer space. We said, well, you're working. Shouldn't your employers be caring about that you need childcare and help you on those childcare costs? And that's actually really the, the point that starts to fix the problem. Right. Um, and it goes beyond that because government also gets involved as well. But I think, you know, the ultimate vision here is what if in a situation, and it's not a vision because we're actually trying to make this possible and making it happen, that you're only responsible, you as a parent are only responsible for one third of the cost, where your employer subsidizes the other third. Right. And where the government matches that third. And in that case, Something that used to be, let's say, $1,200 is now only $400. Imagine how many more families can actually afford childcare when it's $400 or $200 when they actually attend a WeCare. Right. But then at the same time, that provider still made whole. They are paid what they actually deserve to stay in the industry. And the government does need to get involved here. I know you work a little bit with the government, and it's such a... Um, broken system. One, the government is a business, but 
personally shouldn't necessarily be. It um, is a broken business also. And I think that's part of the child care problem. You know, when I look at investments, we think um, we love companies like yours that also tie in with the government, but also have a consumer facing element um, or other revenue streams because the government is a bigger customer than the Fortune 500 companies combined, but it's also the most antiquated. And there's so many opportunities to create solutions within there. Um, I'd love to hear about um, any kind of, you know, because we're trying to be solutions based here at <laughs> Monumental, um, what um, solutions do you see? Um, where's the opportunities to kind of create better solutions within the government and the bureaucracy? Like for you, getting a a child care center up and running, for example, um, are there any kind of inhibitors there? Yeah, I think, you know, the if you think about centers in general, um, it actually is really hard to open a center. Right. Generally, it's about, for people to really invest in it, it's about like $2 million. Oh and my then, God, just to get one up and running? Yeah. That is crazy. And because, I mean, I, I, you kind of get it from it because, like, when you're thinking about from the licensing standpoint, you're caring about a child's safety. You're caring about that everything in the place is focused on the child, including the toilets, right? So all of the facts of permitting to actually installing, having the right materials, construction, outdoor play areas, like a play structure is almost like hundred to $200,000. Um, so I can't believe it costs $2 million to get one of these up and running. So it sounds like we're going to be having a lot of people on, um, who work within the government, uh, to talk about these inefficiencies. So I will relay this information to them and be like, we need to solve this. Um, but that is really expensive. And it sounds like if it was less expensive, more people would do it. I think people do care about childcare. They just don't even know where to start. Um, and, you know, we need more options. We need, in some cases, free childcare that is provided by the government. Yeah. I think one of the biggest components that really can affect change is really about who gets subsidy. Because when you think about subsidy right now is really made for the, the lowest poverty, below poverty line families. And that's hard, right? You're not working. You need childcare to actually get a job. But once you get a job, you don't qualify for any of these benefits anymore, which makes it really hard for you to actually afford childcare. And guess what? You're back under poverty. So this is where really where I think the biggest part is, is providing um, information that can really help to guide what is actually considered families that need to be subsidized, right? Right. And I think that's where government can play a big part where it's like, okay, well, actually this band of people also need to get government subsidy because they're being paid hourly wages. It's not enough. They can't afford childcare. But if they can afford childcare, they can actually go to their job, actually become managers, get themselves out of that spiral. Um, and that's, that's where, where, at least where we're seeing a lot of traction is really being able to guide government on hey, actually that ban is higher than what you think because families that are making 50000 as a household can't get by in Los Angeles. 
or in California. So how do we increase that? Maybe it needs to be 80,000 for a family household, but you still need to help subsidize for that childcare cost. That is, um, that's a great solution that I think that will continue to kind of push forward. So I hope you do too, which it sounds like you are. So I'm glad you are just doing great stuff, Jessica. Um, I would love to, uh, you know, something we didn't talk about is, um, so, you know, we talked about your child care and then how does that differ from like, how were you brought up? What was the child care in your home? Um, <laughs> so I, I grew up um, in Asia. So that means you have a lot of family members and that so was the village. It's yes, the village, the village mentality. Yes. The village brought me up uh, and it, it was great. I mean, I had a great experience, but when I first went to school, I had no sense and there was a lot of ketchup but um but it was also a great component because people cared this was your grandma this was your aunt you were playing with your cousins and it felt familiar and that's what I think I see a lot in family child care homes is that family sense right you're brought up by your neighbor who by the way is that grandma for you she bakes you cookies and doesn't tell your mom that like she baked your cookies, <laughs> but thank God she baked you cookies, right? <laughs> and it's giving that love and care back into the system. And that's how it always was, right? Like if you think about like the, the 50s and 60s, it was always the family that brought you up, the neighbor that brought you up, and it felt good. You got that sense of belonging, the community. But when kids went to centers, that community stuff all went away, right? right? It all got commercialized. So we're trying to bring that sense of community and family back with our FCCs. It's like the village raises you and the family childcare home almost becomes the center of it. You send your kids there and when you grow up, you actually hope that your kids send them there. Actually, I think it was the other way around. You went to the home daycare and then when you grow up, you send your own kids to that same home daycare. These are so many great solutions. One, we're missing the village. We need to bring the community back. I think everyone is also feeling that after COVID um, and feeling like, wow, I was so secluded for so long. Where is community? And we're seeing just a lot more community-based activities. People want to come together, see people in person, not on Zoom. Um, and then also, I think it's so important what you said about just making sure we raise that bar in terms of who gets subsidized. I think that's you know, um, a really, really great solution we can focus on. Um, and something I want to chat about quickly is you are a sommelier. You are, I mean, what a fun, like, what a fun talent to have. Um, it's, it's interesting because, uh, well, first of all, I love wine. I really, really, really love wine. Me too. <laughs> and I know the moms listening love wine as oh, well. Oh yeah. As, as a mom, you need wine. <laughs> Um, but it actually started really young. So my dad really loved wine and he was a businessman. So he used to take me to these business dinners. And by the way, I grew up in Asia, so there wasn't a drinking limit. So he would be like, oh, just There's have some no wine. drinking age, age in Asia? No. What? <laughs> Are you serious? Growing up as a child in Asia was very fun. <laughs> I guess in, in France is there... I guess kids drink in France too. Yeah, yeah. Is there an eight? Wait, this is mind blowing to me. Yeah. So, so kids could like do shots. That's terrifying. 
yeah, maybe not shots, but you know, like, uh, hey, have a sip of the wine, and that's totally fine. <laughs> no parent wants their kids Jessica's to Jessica's like, shots. what kind of parent are you? <laughs> No, you know, some a little bit of vodka inside of their gums to make them sleep. Yeah, that's that's totally doable. Um, but yeah, so young age, my um, dad really wanted me to enjoy these things because my dad's biggest hope was that I would get into finance, get into business, which I did. Like my early part of career, I was an investment banker. I worked in private equity, and it you know it's it was hard, right? Um, but I loved. What my dad did, which was he got me really to appreciate wine. And so when it came to um, being a sommelier, I was like, well, let's just do it for fun. Um, and it was really fun. Um, I mean, it was held in Vegas. So it was very fun. Um, <laughs> but it, it was one of those things where I'm like, well, let me just test my skill sets yeah. to see if I actually know what I'm talking about. Amazing. That is so cool. And you have to study a lot to do that, right? So I started at a really young age, and my dad likes a lot of different kinds of wine, so it just became very natural. That's so amazing. That is such a cool talent to have. We need to go to dinner, and I need you to just tell me about all the wines. I know nothing. I'm like, uh, you know, I, I really like Sauvignon Blanc. I really like Rosé, and that's about where my education on wine ends. My husband's much more of a wino. Um, that is so fun and fascinating and wine is a really interesting um business too i mean just where it all comes from and how it's made and how it's valued it's really an interesting business <laughs> what a cool uh talent to have and skill set um i have a very good sense of smell so i always thought i'd be a great sommelier um so okay really quick um before we wrap up here today with our goodbye story um, I would like to know what is your mom hack? Like, what is the thing that you do, um, that helps you kind of get by that you think other moms could use as a tip? I think, you know, once after the first kid, perfection is not something that you look for. And I think that actually helps me get by is to know that your kids are going to be fine. You don't, nothing has to be perfect. They're going to get dirty. They might eat off the ground. Happens a lot. Um, but it's fine. And if you give yourself that break, that makes it so much better. Um, so actually, this came, advice came from my divorce friend, which is hilarious. She was saying, she's like, look, the best thing about getting a divorce was that I actually had time for myself. So when my kids are with uh, my ex-husband, like, they're with them. And I get to be by myself, which then when I get my kids back, I can be a better mom. I was like, huh, interesting. We don't have, like my <laughs> husband and I was like, we, we never have time for ourselves. It's always the kids. And it became really stressful. So what we actually did was we actually set up mandatory date nights. And so we have a babysitter come in and I, and I told the babysitter, I was like, this isn't going to be random. You're coming this day always every single week. Great for the babysitter too. And so we have mandatory date nights so that we can actually recharge and say like, hey, look, do I feel bad that I'm away from kids? Yes. But am I a better mom for it? Yes, because I'm less stressed and I don't want to yell at them as much. I think that's such a good advice. That's such good advice. It's so important to make sure you're like nurturing your relationship and also just getting out and feeling like an adult, you know, and feeling like 
oh yeah, I am something beside the mom and, um, you know, I am a human too. And I have needs to, you know, I, I should have fun too. I think you do. I, I always come back from those moments and date nights, et cetera. And I'm just so much, I'm happy to see my kids. I feel refreshed. Um, and it just kind of, yeah, it helps recharge you too. Um, the, uh, okay. So we have this thing here called the goodbye story. And you told us what your, um, favorite child's children's book is. And you said, um, it was Amy Wu and the perfect bow by Kat Zhang. So I'm going to read a quick synopsis and then I want to hear why it is, uh, important to you and your kids. So the synopsis, meet the funny, fierce, and fearless Amy Wu, who's determined to make a perfect bow bun today. Can she rise to the occasion? Amy loves to make bow with her family, but it takes skill to make bow, taste, and look delicious. And her bow keeps coming out all wrong. Then she has an idea that may give her a second chance. Will Amy ever make the perfect bow? Oh my God, cliffhanger, Jessica. Um, <laughs> so t- tell us um, why you love this book so much and why your kids love this book so much. So I'm Chinese. Um, and a lot of times I think heritage culture is lost upon my kids. So reading this book, first of all, would kind of bring back some parts of what I love about Chinese culture, which is the, the family comes together and we do this together. Um, so when you're making bao, especially in my family, it is a family thing. Like my mom comes, my grandma comes, and we actually talk about all the fun things or or things that we haven't heard about the family. It's also and where what the is, biggest it's, gossip. It's like a like what is about? Describe what about is. Um, it's basically it's I mean it's dough on the outside, and then there's either meat or vegetables in the inside, and then it's steamed. So um, it's like a dumpling, but a little bit more chunkier on the outside. (laughs) But when you make it yourself, which is a labor of love, just like, you know, Italian grandma's making pasta, it's a whole day thing. It's just so good. Like, it's like your comfort food. And vows have always been my comfort food. So like when I'm having a bad day, I like literally reach in. My mom's made me like a dozen of them. And then I just like eat all of them. Worst thing possible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that's what I wanted to kind of give to my kids is that like, Hey, like, you know, first of all, this is relevant for, for you, um, culturally, but also at the same time, I want to let you know that like, you know, cause what Amy does is like, she has a hard time. She can't get it right. And it turns out that she just has to cut the pieces smaller so that it's perfect for her, for her hands. Cause she's got tiny hands. Um, and so it's a, it's a story for my, my kids to learn that it's okay. It's okay that some other child might be better at you at this thing. Do it at your own pace. Do it what feels right because over time, you're going to get there too. Right. So it's like a, both a great story for them to know that they don't have to be perfectionists, that they can go at their own pace. And another part that is about family and culture that I want them to know is there. So I'm like, hey, hint, hint, you know, Thanksgiving, when you guys grow up, come back home, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thank you so much, Jessica. This was the greatest. You are doing such incredible work. And so how can people find out more about We Care? Um, so we are, we are very uh, present online, but um, if you guys want to learn more, go to www.com 
w-e-e-c-a-r-e dot c-o so we care with the wee little kids (laughs) i love it well um Jessica, thanks so much for coming. And I know we better get back to work because we have some monumental work to do today. (laughs) Yes, definitely. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Please write us a review if you liked us. Tell us what you think. Follow us on Instagram at monumental.podcast or at Jesse C. Draper and tell us who you want to hear from and how you think we can solve childcare. Also, please give us five stars.